0: Have you ever been out on a long road trip when suddenly you see a huge fish? Not in the water, but there on the side of the road. Just an absolutely massive sculpture of a fish. And then this thing just kind of happens to you. You feel yourself slowly pulling the car over. The fish is calling to you. And you get out, and you go up to this magnificent, ridiculous roadside attraction. You marvel at the fish for a while, and eventually swing through the gift shop. You maybe buy a coffee mug, possibly a shirt. But if you're really lucky, you'll find a miniature version of the gigantic fish. You know you need one, so you buy it and keep it for years to come. And if there's no miniature fish, you probably don't sweat it. But Erica Nelson is not you. Because, one by one, Erica Nelson traveled the country in a bus, visiting the world's largest things, and then creating her own perfect little miniatures of them. Until, lo and behold, she became her own roadside attraction. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. This week, we talk to Erica Nelson about the world's largest collection of the world's smallest versions of the world's largest things. Think about it. More after this. along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time. And talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio Cortez.
1: I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress.
0: Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed.
1: My name is Erica Nelson, and uh, I'm an artist primarily. Most people know me for. Creating the world's largest collection of the world's smallest versions of the world's largest things. It used to be housed in a series of mobile museums, but now there's a standalone roadside sideshow expo that houses the collection and all of the stories and ephemera that I've collected on the way to building that collection.
0: Erica didn't set out in life to necessarily become one of the foremost connoisseurs of large roadside attractions. She didn't even really set out to be an artist, not at first.
1: I don't know that I ever had a conscious point of, I want to be an artist. I've sort of always been this way. I really love the way that pens felt on paper, because I just love that tactile quality of a ballpoint pen and paper, and it was fascinating to me. I also like the way that pencils felt on paper, so I did a lot of scribbling without words or pictures.
0: Erica grew up in a Midwestern town called California, Missouri. That's right. California, Missouri. It was rural, kind of out there. And Erica was part of something called 4-H. If you're from the Midwest, you probably know what 4-H is. It's a kind of agricultural training program. And at the end of the year, everyone's required to write a report.
1: I grew up in a very Midwestern area, uh, so everybody was in 4-H. And in page you have to do end of year reports, so they're training you early to be in the corporate world or the farming world. <laughs> and in one of those reports, Mom pulled it out one time when I was home. It said, "Because there's always a requirement of what are your hobbies," and I said in there, "I collect collections."
0: Eventually, Erica realized that art was in fact her calling. She went to college to get a degree in illustration. But after working in that for a while, she realized it wasn't really her thing. So she decided to go to grad school to get an MFA, to do capital A, art.
1: And during that work, you're really thinking about the institutions of art and the paths of art and art history. And um, to keep myself sane during grad school and teaching, I would take road trips. And it was during one of those road trips that I realized that I enjoyed seeing people building things more than learning about what had been built. And the things that really excited me were the people not calling themselves artists, but creating things where they lived.
0: It was on one of these road trips that Erica discovered her deep and abiding love for roadside attractions, her first great romance. And hers was a doozy.
1: I went north through Nebraska to find Carnage. And it was a holiday, so there was nobody on the road. I got there in the middle of the night, and this just (laughs) amazingly wonderful, bizarre thing was there by moonlight. And that was the point that I realized, I really love finding these things where they are.
0: Standing there, beneath the full-scale model of Stonehenge, made of cars painted matte gray under the moonlight on the plains of Nebraska. For Erica, there was no turning back. Erica started visiting these unusual roadside attractions regularly. In fact, she went to the world's largest ball of twine twice, first to see it, and for the second time, to go to the gift shop to see if it was open. And she spent some time there browsing the hats and the mugs and the shirts. But what caught her eye were the souvenirs. They had something there called small balls of twine.
1: I was so disappointed because it wasn't a small ball of twine. It wasn't even a a resin replica. It was a ping pong ball with regular-sized twine glued on it. And uh, glued on a rock with hand painting. And I loved the objects, but I was very disappointed at this small ball of twine. Like, this, is, this isn't even trying. I could do better. And that's when I thought, on the way home, well, what would I make for my own souvenir? And that's when I started making them for the sites that I really loved that didn't have them.
0: So Erica made her own ball of twine, a true tiny replica of the real thing. And that was just the start. She... Made models of the world's biggest badger in Burnhamwood, Wisconsin. A tiny version of the car-sized bird in Topeka, Kansas. An itty-bitty miniature hairball based on the largest cow hairball in Garden City, Kansas. She kept visiting these gigantic places and making teeny tiny versions of them. Then it was at Erica's grad school faculty show where the idea of the collection, and crucially the name for it, all came together.
1: I put together some of the souvenirs I'd made for myself and a couple of the um, road scrapbooks that I put together. And I'd usually do a page a day while traveling that was just ephemera collected together, uh, displayed alongside this little replica. And it didn't have the title yet. It was just um, small versions or no, small replicas of large things. And that was the first time that, that I put it in an art context And it wasn't until after that show that I realized what it could actually be.
0: The world's largest collection of the world's smallest versions of the world's largest things. It's really hard to say without smiling. At this point, Erica was doing pretty well for herself. The world of capital A art was right in front of her. She had been offered a 10-year track teaching position. But then 9-11 happened, and... Something about that moment of abrupt change, of fear, Erica saw her path in front of her, and she knew what she had to do.
1: And I called the school and said, I can't sign this. And I sold everything that I needed to sell to be able to move on the road full time. So it was this really abrupt transition, I think, because I felt like I was on this path that I was supposed to go on.
0: Was that moment scary, exciting? Like, that's a big change. That's a big move. What was the kind of feeling you had at, at, that, at that time?
1: Um, it was big and scary, but I think everybody was in that big, scary moment. Like, what are you doing? I think there is this fundamental core shakeup that rippled throughout um, the US's world. Anybody who had even a question in their mind about what they were doing got shook up. And it, it was a scary change. You're not always gonna get the chance to actually do what you wanna do in that transition time. So just made a bigger transition and did not take the teaching road and decided, all right, I'm gonna, buy a transit bus and move into that and live on the road and see what happens.
0: So Erica built her own roadside attraction. And her attraction could come to you. She traveled around the country in a converted bus, showing off the collection of tiny versions of giant things. And Erica did this for years before finally deciding... It was time to settle somewhere more permanent. Today, the collections found a permanent home in Lucas, Kansas. It felt like a natural choice. It's close to a bunch of the world's biggest things. There were cheap houses, and it was already home to an outsider art project called the Garden of Eden. In the work that Erica does, both in her art and preservation, she interacts with art spaces made by unusual people or by communities. And it's where Erica draws a lot of her inspiration from.
1: People who didn't take the easy way out, including communities that build these big things, um, there's something that they know is unique about their particular experience that drives them to create something that says it visually to outsiders. And just seeing that sort of bucking of the norm like they, This is not a lawn that you mow. This is a lawn that you um, put another coat of paint on. Or, <laughs> this isn't a commercial water tower anymore. It's a water tower that's been slightly shaped into a bottle of ketchup that went above and beyond what the function is to create something that is completely unexpected and reinstills that sense of wonder and awe.
0: Carhenge, the world's biggest ball of twine, the giant muskie in Hayward, Wisconsin. They are each, in their own way, an expression of love. The love of a strange idea, the love of a place, the love of making something yourself.
1: It's so easy to have that impractical idea and talk yourself out of doing it. And the more people that you see that have not talked themselves out of doing that crazy thing, or that thing that somebody might look at them a little bit oddly about, or that thing that is painting your front door red in a town with no red front doors. Uh, that those little steps lead up to big sights, And even if it's just a little tiny change where people are questioning why they're doing things and re-listening to their inner selves, to me, is an exciting day
0: Erica Nelson is currently working on her next big project, expanding beyond the collection and turning a 2,500-square-foot art space into the kind of roadside stop and art environment that will give visitors the same sense of joy that Erica gets from these spaces. She's building someone else's car henge under the stars. Thanks so much to Erica Nelson for talking with us, and I cannot wait to see your new space. Uh, I also want to give a special thanks to Cami Mojica for her great work on this script. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes Doug Baldinger Chris Naka Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold Sarah Wyman
1: Manolo Morales
0: Tracy Samuelson John Delore Peter Clowney Our technical director is Casey Holford This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall, And I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll talk to you next time.
1: Witness Docs from Stitcher.
0: The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Listen
1: to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.